Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Welcome into Outkick the Show. I hope all of you are having good days wherever you may be across this great country and uh, great land. We got a lot to get to. Uh, and uh, we begin with what is, I've, I've got what will eventually be theoretically a White House press briefing from Corinne Jean-Pierre. You want to talk about somebody who's all, always out of her depth because she's maybe the worst White House press secretary there has ever been. She can't handle basic level questions. It's going to be a filleting of Corinne Jean-Pierre when she goes in front of the White House press corps and has to explain a special counsel being appointed in the Joe Biden uh, classified documents scandal. So uh, let's go into the details. Let's discuss the implications. We've got a lot out here to contemplate. You may have just heard me talking about it on Clay and Buck for the last three hours, essentially. Uh, But I want all of you to be able to understand what exactly is in play here. This is the first special counsel to be appointed to investigate a Democrat president since Bill Clinton was investigated for Whitewater that turned into the Monica Lewinsky scandal. So, uh, here's what happened. A couple of days ago, essentially, the White House announced that they had found classified documents in Joe Biden's office space in Washington, D.C., I'm going to run through the timeline of exactly what happened, why Merrick Garland, these are are dates given to us by Merrick Garland in an earlier press conference. Uh, We're going to discuss all these details. Then we'll talk about what the special counsel appointment means, where I think all this is leading. So Merrick Garland told us that on November 2nd, that is about six days before the midterm elections, there was the discovery made of classified documents inside of Joe Biden's office space in Washington, D.C. On November 4th, according to Merrick Garland, the National Archives was notified that these classified documents existed. On November 9th, there was an FBI assessment done of those classified documents. On November 14th, a United States attorney, Lausch, was appointed to examine these issues. On December 20th, additional classified documents were discovered at Joe Biden's residence by his Corvette in the garage. The FBI supposedly secured those documents. On January 5th, Lausch came back to Merrick Garland, said based on what he had uncovered, he believed it was warranted to appoint a special counsel. On January 11th, yet another classified document was found inside of Joe Biden's residence, the third discovery of classified documents in Joe Biden's possession. And then a little over a couple of hours ago, on January 12th, that is today, a special counsel was appointed. 
That special counsel's name is Robert Hur. He was a U.S. attorney uh, appointed by Donald Trump in 2018. He previously, Stanford law grad, who previously had been a Ninth Circuit clerk for Judge Kaczynski. Kaczynski was appointed by Ronald Reagan, and Robert Hur was also a Supreme Court clerk for Justice William Rehnquist. Uh, he is in private practice now at Gibson uh, Dutcher, I believe, or Gibson something, uh, a big firm in D.C. Uh, let, let me get that 100% right because I think I have his bio uh, up for uh, up for all of you. He was working, working at Gibson, Dunn, and Crutcher uh, at the time of this appointment. Uh, so you've got a Republican-leaning appointee to investigate Joe Biden. We now have dueling special counsel investigations, one of Donald Trump, the other of Joe Biden. Important to note, the Donald Trump special counsel not only encompasses Mar-a-Lago and his handling of classified documents there, but also the referral that came from the January 6th special committee and also other related January 6th election-connected uh, investigatory matters. So there's basically a two-track special counsel uh, that exists for Donald Trump. There is a one-track special counsel now, in theory, for Joe Biden. Uh, now, I got a lot to unpack here, but my prediction before I start to give you all of these details and questions that are immediately raised based on the information that is public that we know so far is that sometime in the summer, and you can flag this, I believe uh, that Merrick Garland, the Attorney General, will come out and announce that both Donald Trump and Joe Biden handled classified documents in, uh, inappropriately, potentially criminally, but he does not believe that it rises to the level of needing to bring criminal charges. So he will lecture both Biden and Trump uh, in offsetting penalties. Uh, if, you're a, if you're an NFL fan or a college football fan, when you have two different sides, both commit uh, personal foul, they offset. Uh, this is also, if you're a parent and you regularly have to deal with kids that are fighting, this is basically how I handle every single uh, video game dispute over Madden or some other game in my household with my boys. Uh, both of you are at fault. Now, here is the big picture, okay? You were told by many people out there in media that Donald Trump's handling of classified documents was a unique scandal that meant he was no longer able to serve as president, that he should be arrested, that he should go to prison, that the FBI was justified in their, in their raid of Mar-a-Lago. Now, now, you even had those same people when the initial documents, classified documents, were discovered in Joe Biden's private office. They even trotted out the usual suspects in the apparatus to say, oh, this is no big deal. This is how these documents should have been handled. This is nothing like what happened with Trump. And then you had what I believe will be seen as a disastrous admission by Joe Biden earlier today that actually the classified documents were in his garage beside his Corvette. Most Americans 
understand that the garage is the last place you put something that you really care about. The garage, in terms of documents, is like the way station on the way to the garbage, right? If you really care about a document, you at least keep it inside of your house, okay? So the fact that Joe Biden had these documents out in his garage beside the Corvette is an embarrassment. It's actually far worse in terms of storage than anything related to how Donald Trump was handling documents. Because I've been to Mar-a-Lago a couple of times. In order to get into Mar-a-Lago, you have to get wanded. You have to watch past multiple security. This was under lock and key. This idea that you can just walk around Mar-a-Lago and just go in and like some people are just going to be able to go through the documents is laughably absurd. Having been there a few times, I can tell you exactly how it goes. They uh, have security. You get wanded if you move around everywhere. Remember, we did our radio show from Mar-a-Lago. So Donald Trump, whether you uh, agree or disagree with him about these documents, had these under lock and key. Also, as if that were not enough, Trump just made the argument that these were declassified documents and they were in his possession. And Merrick Garland decided that that argument was impermissible. And so they had a raid of Mar-a-Lago. Also worth noting that uh, Joe Biden put out a uh, campaign commercial in 2020 that showed him driving his Corvette. This is like a 1960s era Corvette in the garage. And in the background of that video, you can see a stack of boxes. I think there's probably a high likelihood that in those stack of boxes were found classified documents. So not only did Joe Biden store these documents inside of a garage, he actually brought in a film crew and they had access to the garage. There's no telling how many people were in and out of that garage, including Hunter Biden. Larger context, okay? So as soon as the Corvette and the garage uh, announcement came out, Joe Biden effectively cut off anybody trying to argue that Trump's storage of classified documents was worse. Biden handled these documents worse than Trump did. So now, what is the larger context in which this is going to be analyzed? It's a mess. No other way than to say that Joe Biden likely engaged in criminal behavior as it pertains to these classified documents. Now, I told you before, I didn't think it was a big story with Trump. And I don't think it's a big story with Biden, generally speaking, either. But Merrick Garland did. And the left wing in this country did as well when they ordered again, Mar-a-Lago to be raided by the FBI. So I want you to think about this timeline. According to Attorney General Merrick Garland, on November 2nd, the initial discovery of classified documents was made. On November 4th, the archives was notified. On November 9th, the FBI did an assessment of those documents. This is the timeline provided by Merrick Garland. Why was there not any other documents discovered until December 20th and then again on January 11th And why, theoretically, was Joe Biden allowed to have his own employees and his own staff review all of the documents instead of having the FBI go in and conduct the investigation like happened with Trump? In other words, between November 2nd and December 20th and also January 11th is a very long time frame under which the Biden regime was still allowed to conduct a search for classified documents. 
Why did they get that right? And instead of the FBI being called in, Joe Biden got to have his own people review these documents. Who knows what they found? Frankly, who knows what they found and they did not turn over to the FBI or the Department of Justice or the National Archives? It's a big question. Why were there no photographs taken by the FBI like they did in Mar-a-Lago of the classified documents laid out on the ground to be released as a propaganda tool? And why did we not find out? What was the impetus under which all of this information suddenly went public? Maybe it was Republicans taking control of the House, but what do you think this might have been significant in the midterms? Do you think it might have impacted some of the way that people voted if all of our voters had been aware that Joe Biden was going to have his own document scandal uh, associated with classified documents? Again, Democrats made the Mar-a-Lago raid intensely political and Joe Biden's behavior, uh, sorry, uh, Donald Trump's behavior was called a direct threat to democracy as part of the part and parcel of the political elections and their arguments and their message in the midterms. How might things have changed if we had known all about the situation uh, surrounding Joe Biden also having classified documents. Remember as well, Joe Biden lectured all of us as well as Donald Trump that it was unacceptable that anyone could have ever had these documents that were classified in their possession. Joe Biden had these documents in his possession for years. Given that it's been reported that some of these documents were classified and had to do with Ukraine, could Robert Hur, the new Uh, special counsel potentially have to investigate Hunter Biden and his criminal, I believe, behavior associated with Ukraine as a part of this investigation as well. All of that is very much in play. Remember, initially, when the Ken Starr investigation began of Bill Clinton, it focused on Whitewater. Eventually, it turned into an investigation of the Monica Lewinsky affair and the lies associated with it as well, I would just suggest to all of you this could turn into a much bigger story than it already is. And right after that, we'll continue the discussion. But first, a momentary break. What's up, everyone? It's Nick Wright, and I got something exciting to talk to you about today. Angie, your ultimate destination for getting all your jobs done well. Now, Angie isn't just your average home services marketplace. It's a game changer with over 150 million homeowners served and a network of over 200,000 skilled pros. Angie has experience and expertise to tackle any project with ease. Whether you're looking to spruce up your backyard or undergo a major home renovation, Angie's got your back. And their pros are locally based, often running small businesses right in your community. And here's the best part. Angie makes the process seamless. From researching and comparing pros to scheduling services at your convenience, Angie's user-friendly platform puts you in control. So why settle for anything less than perfection when it comes to your home? With Angie, you can trust every project will be completed with the utmost care and professionalism. So get started at Angie.com. 
That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today to discover why homeowners across the nation are turning to Angie to get all their jobs done well. It also makes me wonder, if you had this information, why did it come out in a piecemeal fashion? If I were crisis PR and I were in charge of advising the Biden administration on how to handle news stories and how to cover incidents such as these, you don't want the drip, drip, drip of three different revelations surrounding classified documents being found in three different locations. You would want to put out one story involving all of these classified documents being uncovered. Why is it coming out in a drip, drip, drip fashion, which is prolonging and accelerating the amount of attention being given to this story? And could it, and this is the this is the the biggest question of all, there have been a lot of reports that Joe Biden was preparing to announce his 2024 campaign for president. Could this delay or in some way infringe upon that announcement before all is said and done? All of these really big questions that deserve to be discussed and analyzed in real time. This is a mess for Joe Biden. Remember, the first special counsel appointment since a special counsel was appointed in the case of Bill Clinton. Now again, I suspect if I were waving my prediction wand, I suspect that sometime in the summer, before we get into the primary season and before we get into uh, the real political essence of the battle for the Republican and Democrat nominations, that Merrick Garland will come out that he'll conduct a Christopher Ray-like lecture. If you remember when Hillary Clinton and the emails and the and the investigation, that wagging finger, uh, you know, no reasonable prosecutor basically would bring these charges. I suspect that this will end up happening for both Biden and for Trump as it pertains to classified documents. But it's worth calling and pointing out that Democrats tried to turn the classified document scandal of Donald Trump into an existential threat to our democracy. And if that's the case, then certainly the same standard should be applied for Joe Biden. And Democrats would have argued that impeachment and removal from office was necessary if Trump were in office and these classified document scandals had arisen. It's interesting how much they changed their story when it involves their guy. So that's the big picture uh, of that story in general. Okay. Uh, much less significant stories. We got a bunch of them to hit from the world of sports. Dan Lebitard has been going off on his uh, podcast about Dana White receiving favorable treatment from ESPN over a slap fight that he got into with his wife, I believe on New Year's Eve in Cabo. And Dan Lebitard has said that uh, he was being protected, Dana White was, because of the ESPN-UFC connection. Jamel Hill argued that Dana White was being protected because he was a white guy. Well, this is interesting because Jamel Hill works for Dan Lebitard, and Dan Lebitard employs a man named Howard Bryant who was arrested for assaulting his wife. Howard Bryant used to be uh, an employee of ESPN. He might even still be an employee for ESPN as well. I don't know. 
But I would love to hear Dan Lebitard explain why he's so focused on Dana White not receiving sufficient enough uh, punishment for something that he was not arrested for. Remember, it's on tape. His wife slapped him first, and then he slapped her. He's apologized. I, so far, and I hope all of you are the same as me, have not hit any woman in my life. I hope to die with that still being true. All right? No man should ever hit any woman, period. But if you're Dan Lebitard and you employ a man who was arrested for physical domestic assault of his wife and pled no contest essentially there, okay? How in the world can you employ an alleged wife beater? There's no allegation that she hit him first that I've ever seen for Howard Bryant's case and say that ESPN's giving Dana White a pass. Aren't you giving an alleged wife beater a pass? You're actually employing Howard Bryant, who is an arrested, arrested for domestic assault. So if you're going to be criticizing ESPN, shouldn't you make sure that you don't live in a glass house? To my knowledge, at OutKick, we don't employ anybody who's ever hit a woman. Can Dan Levitard say the same? I don't think he can. Can ESPN stay the same? Well, they used to employ Howard Bryant. I don't think they can. Interesting, how many people live in glass houses? I wonder if Levitard even thought about this before he went off on Dana White and ESPN. And I wonder if Jamel Hill could step forward and explain if race is the determining factor, why is Howard Bryant still employed too? Why is he her co-worker alongside of Dan Levitard in the company that they both work at? Is she utterly offended that an alleged wife beater is a co-worker of hers? Why is she tougher on Dana White and ESPN than she is her current employer and her current co-worker who's been arrested for domestic assault? Just a few questions that I would love to hear answered. Again, as someone who doesn't employ anyone who has been accused of sexual assault. I think I can fairly ask that question. Just tossing it out there. Uh, News. Atlanta is going to host in the Mercedes-Benz Stadium Chiefs-Bills in the AFC title game. That news just came out this afternoon. I think it's intriguing. Um, The idea, maybe, that the NFL is going to look around and say, wait a minute, we make a lot of money on the Super Bowl. That's always a neutral site game. Could, in the future, it make sense for the NFL to take the AFC, the NFC game, and the Super Bowl and put them all in neutral site arenas? stadiums, and be able to make way more money by auctioning off the AFC and the NFC championship game as opposed to simply allowing the team with the best record to host the AFC championship game. Now, maybe they won't make that choice. This obviously is part of the fallout from the DeMar Hamlin collapse. As a result of the Bills-Bengals game never being completed, the Chiefs ended up getting the overall number one seed and the Bills got the two, which means the Chiefs get the bye. And now, as you look forward, uh, if we end up, and only if, we end up with a Chiefs-Bills AFC title game, that game will be played in Atlanta. Presumably, they would sell tickets to that game. That would be a very difficult ticket, I would think, because a lot of people can drive from Buffalo, and a lot of people would be able to drive from Kansas City, 
to watch that game take place. Two rabid fan bases, both descending on Atlanta before the Super Bowl itself is played out in Phoenix. So I think that's an intriguing question uh, to think about and consider. Uh, Another uh, ESPN-related scandal, not involving, thankfully for ESPN, uh, them employing a, uh, a former wife beater or alleged wife beater in Howard Bryant. Uh, but ESPN uh, employees, formerly Allison Williams and a 30-year producer at ESPN, are suing ESPN because they say they were fired for refusing to get the COVID shot. Well, now that we know all the data and all the evidence reflects that young, healthy people never had any basis whatsoever to take the COVID shot. I applaud everyone out there who is standing up and hoping to hold accountable every entity out there. The Department of Defense, as we told you yesterday, has done away with the COVID shot requirement. You can now serve in the military. Everyone who got fired for refusing, I believe, to get the COVID shot, should be rehired. But we've got a big lawsuit suing ESPN over the COVID shot restriction. You can go read about it at OutKick. I give credit to Allison Williams and the producer of over 30 years who is also suing ESPN over the loss of their jobs. Uh, Derek Carr has said, by the way, ESPN was 100% wrong to require the COVID shot. Every university was, every college, every employer, Anyone who mandated the COVID shot failed to look at basic data. They should be ashamed. Uh, Derek Carr has published a goodbye to the Las Vegas Raiders. He was benched for Jared Stidham at the end of the year. Now the question is, as the Raiders began to survey the overall trade market, how many teams out there might be interested in making a play for Derek Carr? And where might he end up? I would just say this. If I'm Derek Carr, I want to try to go to an NFC team. Because if you look at the overall quality of quarterbacks in the NFC, once Aaron Rodgers and Tom Brady retire, there's not a lot of quarterback talent in the NFC. I mean, we'll see how Jalen Hurts does in the playoffs. We'll see how Brock Purdy does with the San Francisco 49ers. But you run down the NFC playoff list, and there are a lot of very mediocre quarterbacks. Dak Prescott might be... Kirk Cousins, Dak Prescott, whoever you want to say, other than Aaron Rodgers and Tom Brady, who's the next best quarterback in the NFC? I I don't even really know, right? I mean, think about who is right now in the NFC playoff side. Uh, as the one seed, uh, you've got Jalen Hurts. Had a really good year. We'll see how much uh, continu- c- consistency and continuation there is for him. Remember, a lot of people thought this was his year to basically come out and end up losing his job and the Eagles would be drafting someone. That's not going to happen now. You got Brock Purdy. Obviously, the Trey Lance, Jimmy Garoppolo situation in San Francisco is intriguing, but that obviously is a pretty big mess. You got Kirk Cousins, who had a good year, but I don't think there's a lot of people saying, oh my goodness, if only my team could have Kirk Cousins as a quarterback. You got Tom Brady, who's 45. Uh, You've got Dak Prescott, who doesn't seem, let's be honest, to really be able to take the Cowboys to the next step, at least so far. You've got Geno Smith, who no one had any faith at all uh, prior to this season. Just saying, 
when you consider the overall landscape. And then you've got, uh, with the Giants, a guy that nobody had any faith in at all, right? So you start to look through the lineup of, uh, of what exactly is available out there in the NFC. And if I'm Derek Carr, I want to go somewhere in the NFC, right? Um, and if you consider all the different teams out there, what about Washington? They almost made the playoff, right? There are a lot of teams that are right there on the, uh, on the edge. And, you know, do you feel that confident in any of them? I don't really. So if I'm Derek Carr, I'm telling my agent, hey, see if we can find a place to trade me in the NFC. There's a lot of decent teams with bad quarterbacks. Daniel Jones looks like he's going to be back with the Giants, but I was just going to pull up and look at the NFC uh, overall landscape and just ask you how many teams could be a quarterback away in the NFC right now. Uh, you know, even the teams that made the playoffs, I'm not that sold on. But you've got Tampa Bay, which may be losing Tom Brady. Carolina, certainly quarterback away. Saints, quarterback away. Are you sold on Desmond Ritter if you're Atlanta? I'm not sure. Uh, We'll see whether Matthew Stafford comes back healthy. There's just, I mean, I want to be in the NFC if I have a choice over where to be, and I'm Derek Carr. The AFC is stacked with quarterbacks, way wobblier in terms of the future in the NFC. I'm telling Derek Carr, if I'm Derek Carr, I'm telling my agent, get me uh, traded or signed in some way in uh, the NFC. Finally, Kevin Warren, after just three years as Big Ten commissioner, is leaving to be the president of the Chicago Bears. Now, I actually think in some way this is a step down if you had to be the president of an NFL franchise or the commissioner of the Big Ten, I think a lot of people would say I'd rather be the commissioner of the Big Ten. But Kevin Warren, uh, his goal has always seemed to be to be the next commissioner of the NFL after Roger Goodell. And he may not have enjoyed having 14 bosses, soon to be 16 bosses, in the Big Ten. So they're going to have to make a decision about who the next commissioner is of the Big Ten. Um, And look, Kevin Warren's legacy is bifurcated, in my opinion. On the one hand, you have the complete and unmitigated mess that was the decision to cancel the 2020 season before it was determined that bringing back college football in 2020 was actually the right idea, okay? So on one side of the equation, you have that mess. On the other side of the equation you have, hey, USC and UCLA expanding the Big Ten to 16 and adding the city of Los Angeles and the state of California is in many ways a coup, and they were able to keep that quiet. Now, I don't know if he would take this job, but if I were making a decision in the Big Ten, I would consider making a serious run at one of my bosses, Fox Sports' Eric Shanks. Uh, Shanks, awesome dude, um, really talented, super smart, has got really strong relationships with the NFL, with Major League Baseball, with the Big 12, with the Big 10, with the Pac-12, all of those relationships. He just shepherded through this monumental, massive Big 10 rights agreement 
which is making the conferences so much money. He's been in charge of the Big Ten Network managing it for a long time because Fox owns a majority stake of the Big Ten. Uh, I think that could make a lot of sense. I'm not sure he would do it. He's got a great job right now. Still relatively young guy uh, from Indiana. Went to the University of Indiana. I'm just tossing out there. He could make a lot of sense. Another possibility. Jim Delaney. I could see an argument made that Jim Delaney needs to pull a Bob Iger and they need to pull Jim Delaney out of retirement, bring him back. Delaney was a very successful commissioner with a lot of respect still in the league. They may want to consider trying to pull him out of retirement and give him the keys back to the Big Ten to kind of solidify things. Uh, But that job now open. If you are a fan of college sports, it will be interesting to follow. A lot of big decisions have been made in the short term. Uh, Next year, still a four-team college football playoff, but then we are expanding to 12. It will be intriguing to see who the big-time contenders are to get that Big Ten commissionership. All right. Love all of you. Thank you, as always, for supporting OutKick. Encourage you to go listen to the Clay and Buck Show, as always, and continue to consume all the content that's available at OutKick.com. I am Clay Travis. This has been OutKick, the show. DBAP, unless you need to ask about.